It's Rachel's mum's birthday today and it's so harsh because we were talking with her about what she was going to do uh, just making jokes about where she would like to go and what she would like to do um, going to the gardens about as much as we can manage um, luckily it's like 16 degrees blue sky sun shining absolutely cracking day you couldn't ask for a better day weather wise um, and so get the grass cut sit outside she can have a glass of wine we can have some juice and everybody's happy just made such a rookie mistake I just I was walking down along the canal this like back lane where I'm hoping there's not going to be any people and I just saw this pink Monzo card you know sort of like pinky orange color the same as mine I thought it might be mine so I picked it up and looked at the name on it and of course not mine uh, but I wouldn't put it past some sicko with a bad version of coronavirus to like lick it and put it on the floor for laughs yeah 21st century London coming right at you Thursday the 26th of March actually I was gonna say uh, earlier that the days are going slowly by but they're not it's flying in 26th of March already uh, means it's 15 days since the pandemic was declared by the World Health Organization in response to the rapid growth of a particular coronavirus called COVID which is highly infectious and for many people deadly Uh, maybe at some point, literally after we've buried the dead, we'll get on to the stage where we're going to have the talk about what we were able to do without, um, how we were able to scale back, how we were less wasteful, uh, the how we were able to come up with a much better division between what is work time and what is private time, social time. Um, and also we're gonna look, I think, probably differently at our cities in particular. Um, it's an interesting time for doing that because uh, it's springtime and the, the verges and the back rows and the lanes and the side streets um, are changed and I'm walking along and everything's beginning to look in full bloom and a bit overgrown and it feels like it's not we're not very far away from uh, like grass growing in the middle of the street sort of thing I think that's years away but still that's kind of how it feels um, the, the early montage of the disaster movie has happened and we're we're like we're in the middle of act two basically um, but I hope that we do that in particular in relation to maybe the, um, the transport that we use and how much moving around we do and how fast our pace of life is and all those things. Um, we might not necessarily be able to do that individually, but if we could do it collectively, then that would be one good thing out of this bad situation.
and we haven't really managed to build uh, a beautiful city in the last couple of hundred years, certainly not the last century. And so he tries to just deconstruct a little bit about why that's the case. And one of the many answers that he comes up with is that the thing that we think that we want from um, social architecture often isn't the thing that we actually want from architecture. So we tend to emphasize wide open space, privacy, um, individuality. But actually, architecture um, in some of the best places actually facilitates small, confined social spaces. Um, and you can see this. So if you think of places that are um, in the news at the moment, it's those um, sort of little close uh, streets in Italy where people who are confined to their homes are singing at each other across the balconies. Um, and even if you think about some of the, the um, most popular tourist spots in the world, it's often the places with tiny crowded streets. It's not necessarily places with uh, the biggest avenues and boulevards. Although, of course, they feature as well. But we do need to think, um, now that we have this pause in economic activity, um, just about what, how life might be different, because our lives have been forced to change pretty much overnight for so many people. And we might just look at things a little bit differently when the dust has settled. Um, and I don't mean that to sound like this is some kind of golden opportunity, because obviously it's a pandemic, people are dying, it's bad. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't also use it as a time to think a little bit outside of the box. I'm just going to pause, because this is a nice spot. So, uh, important decisions that I made today. Um, over the last couple of weeks, I have been eliminating things that have made me anxious or contributed to my anxiety or made life difficult for me. And I've been trying to solve them kind of one by one. And the work one was kind of solved for me and being away from the building for a while has really given me some um, space and just toned things down for me a little bit and allowed me to get a grip of my life again. And that wasn't a decision. Well, it kind of was, because I I'd made the decision that I was gonna self-isolate, where I'd actually ummed and erred about that for a while because I wasn't terribly convinced that Rachel's um, illness was coronavirus. I am now because she has the no taste symptom, which is a telltale sign. Um, but, so the, the the work was gone. I had already, a few days before that, uh, with encouragement from some superb people, um, uh, decided not to uh, drink any alcohol for a while. Uh, that was a good choice. 
um, so I haven't had that for several weeks and that's been good because often what I was doing for um, stress was sitting down very late at night to try and get as much done as I could before the next day and then missing out on loads of sleep and just drinking like beers or brandy and then as a result of that not getting proper sleep not getting as much effective work done and then just basically giving myself a kind of um, Pavlovian cue um, and obviously that's not a good idea so that's gone um, uh, I've definitely had a lot less um, caffeine I joke about drinking lots of tea and coffee at home but actually in comparison to what I drank at work it's nothing at all um, and so I've cut that out and slowly uh, it's made me a little bit calmer and I still experience quite intense bouts of anxiety um, but I'm much more um, aware of them ha coming on and I'm much more aware of the fact that they're going to go away and I don't feel the, the killer sensation there's this particular sensation that you get um, like this feels like you're going to die and I seem to have numbed myself that a lot better. Um, and then today, I took another decision and decided that the news is just annoying me now, actually. And I spoke yesterday about how social media can be a double-edged sword. And at the best of times, I'm a total news addict. I read the news constantly. I go on Google News, I'm on BBC News 24, I'm on Twitter, I'm on um, Curiosity, I'm on Cake. I have so many apps that I track the news from all sorts of different places. Um, and that's good because that's something that I'm interested in and I always have updated information and I like to stay well informed and I share a lot of that stuff with my students. And I teach a lot about how to be a good consumer of news media and how to use that to be a participating citizen and all that kind of stuff but it's just about overwhelming at the minute and it's just so much fear and loathing out there and I just don't really need it at the minute especially when there's this golden opportunity to be just a bit more in the time and moment just a bit more uh, staying at home mind is at home not necessarily freaking out about every little thing that's going on outside um, and so I've just basically protected myself a little bit from that. Um, just logged off Instagram, deactivated my Twitter account, got rid of some news apps. I'm not saying I'm not going to know what's going on in the world, but I'm just not going to be constantly checking my phone for updates to see um, how many people have died or what some annoying person, I use the term lightly, in the government is saying about this or that. Because um, I don't need to know that in, in any immediacy at the minute. I've got much more important things to focus on. So that's got me feeling calm. Um, talk on the TV has turned in the last 24 hours towards testing. So there's one piece of good news from the media. And there's talk that in just a, a week, or maybe a few weeks, there could be millions of home testing kits available. 
which would basically create a bit of a, um, a foothold for people who've already had the disease to be able to return back to some normal work and it would also then create a group of people who could um, volunteer, um, who could do key worker roles and, uh, as auxiliaries um, and who would be able to kickstart um, getting lots of workplaces and processes and stuff back to normal. Um, that seems pretty risky to me because uh, even if you have large pop sections of the population who are immune, as we've already seen, uh, herd immunity would take literally millions and millions of people. Uh, so there's difficulty there, but um, it is a, a little uh, ray of light uh, that we might very soon be talking about how the fact that uh, us being the most successful species in the world, we might finally be able to destroy this stupid little piece of the